Welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I'm your host and money coach, Paige Pritchard. If you're ready to uplevel your results in relationship with money, you're in the right place. Each week, I give you the tools to transform your mindset, manage your emotions, and achieve results with your money you never dreamed were possible. Hi, love. Welcome to episode 129 of the Money Love Podcast. All right, y'all, I have an amazing guest episode for you today. We are going to be talking all about the complicated, the messy, yet the fascinating topic of money and relationships. You'll hear me say this several times in the episode, but I get a lot of relationship questions. Things like, hey, how do I tell my partner about my debt? Hey, when is it appropriate to have that money conversation with this guy that I'm dating, but I really like him, but I don't want to scare him away? Hey, what do I do when I feel like my partner has lost financial confidence in me or I've lost financial confidence in them? Hey, how do I get my partner more involved in our finances? How do we stop fighting about money? How do we rebuild trust in a relationship after there's been financial infidelity? How do I become more financially intimate with my partner or significant other? And while I'm always happy to answer these questions and to give my advice, sometimes I often think, hmm, maybe you should go to therapy (laughs) for that. Like Maybe you should talk to a licensed professional, like an actual family and marriage therapist about that. Now listen, we're all in luck today because on today's show, I have Rachel Fascio and Stacey Shirell, who are the duo behind Decoding Couples. They are both licensed marriage and family therapists. They have a combined 20 years of experience between them in the field of relationships and marriage. They share a little bit about this in the episode, but I'm going to say it again because I actually think it's really cool. They started Decoding Couples during the pandemic. Their business is kind of a pandemic baby because they really saw the need for couples to have access to therapy and help with their relationship. The work that they do is accessible from your couch and at a much lower price range than actually having to go and drive and see a therapist is, which I just think is really cool because the honest truth is that therapy is just not accessible to a lot of people and they have solved that problem beautifully for the couples in their community. Their mission is to take the complications out of communication that you're having. They want you to help break unhealthy patterns in your relationship. And they really are just like a one-stop shop for your relationship needs. This is a topic that I have wanted to talk about for a long, long time. I've done several episodes on money and relationships, but honestly, it was a long time ago. Those are episodes maybe like 15 through 20, because I remember I did a bunch of them in a row. And we're now on episode 129. So it's literally been several years since we have talked about this topic. And like I tell y'all with some topics, I just knew that this was an area where I needed to bring in the big guns. You guys sent me so many questions to ask Rachel and Stacy in this episode. And <laughs> After listening to it, I'm like, man, I really peppered them with a lot of questions. But I wanted to get as much out of them as I could while I had them. We truly cover so much in this episode. Financial intimacy, financial confidence, financial infidelity, how to get your partner more involved in your finances, what to do when you feel like your partner isn't supporting you and the changes that you're wanting to make financially. All of the above is covered and we dive deep. 
I have linked all of Rachel and Stacy's information in the show notes of this episode. So after you listen to this, make sure that you go and you follow them on social media. They also have an amazing podcast called the Decoding Couples Podcast that you can plug into if you're looking for another amazing podcast to add up into your lineup. And they also have courses and programs that you can check out as well if this is an area that you strongly feel like you need more help and support in. I sincerely hope that you guys enjoy this one. Like I always say, let's show them some love from the Money Love community. If you loved this episode and you got a lot out of it, please don't be shy about sharing the episode and tagging us both. Tag me at overcoming underscore overspending and tag them at decoding underscore couples. All right. I love you guys. All right. I love y'all. I hope you enjoy this one. We'll see you in the next episode. Rachel and Stacey, welcome to the Money Love Podcast. I told you this before we started recording, but I'm truly so excited to talk to you guys today because the topic that we're going to be covering in today's episode all about money and relationships is probably one of the areas that I get asked the most questions about, but I feel the least equipped to to answer. (laughs) So just having you guys here, I'm like, you guys are the perfect people to have this conversation with today. So welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Yeah, we're so excited to be here. Absolutely. Well, just so everyone can learn about who you guys are and also about your brand, Decoding Couples, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourselves and let us know your background and how Decoding Couples came to be. I'm Rachel Fascio. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. I am half of Decoding Couples. So I have a private practice in Los Angeles and I specialize in sex and intimacy, trauma, and basically any and all kind of couples issues. And this is my co-founder, Stacey Shirell. I am Stacey Shirell. I, I am also a licensed marriage and family therapist, private practice in Los Angeles. Rachel and I actually work out of the same suite because we just do everything together. So also work with couples and individuals, trauma work, grief and loss work. Um, but yeah, all things couples with Project of Decoding Couples, which came to be during the pandemic when we realized the toll that not isolation, essentially it was isolation. What's it, mm-hmm. what's it called? When everything shut down, the shutdown happened. Quarantine. <laughs> yes, there we quarantine. Go. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of. When we were seeing the impacts of quarantine on couples and we just kind of started openly talking about those struggles and our own struggles in our relationships at that time. And then it's just taken off to be all the tips and tools to help couples get through, yeah, the normal everyday struggles. Love that. So here's my first question for you guys, because at least this is how I feel sometimes in my marriage and relationships. And I know I hear this from my audience all the time. I feel like sometimes when you're in a relationship with somebody, like the things that you guys fight about or the things in your partner that kind of like grind on you or whatever... I think we tend to get in the mindset of like, we're the only ones that fight about this, or we're the only ones that are like struggling to like get it together when it comes to managing our finances together. So, how often do you see or do you come across money issues, money fights, just couples not being in alignment or having disagreements about money in your practice? Like, is it something that you're seeing that's super common, just so everyone might not feel so crazy if that's something that they're experiencing? No one is crazy. Everyone is fighting about money. <laughs> like that. Okay. It's sex, money, 
and kids, I feel like are the top three, but they're all under the guise of communication. Everyone's mm-hmm. like, we just have communication issues. And we're like, mm-hmm. okay, <laughs> like communicating about what? So yes, you are not alone. Everyone out there is not alone. Money is a big deal. A lot of us are not taught about it. There's a lot of secrecy, shame, lack of education, and that lack of knowledge doesn't just magically go away as you get older and try and pretend how to be an adult. Uh, In fact, those gaps in knowledge are exacerbated. And then most often we pick other people to be with that have the opposite money, upbringing issues, misinformation, whatever it is. So you can kind of guess what happens when then two people try to build a life together with a lot of misinformation or little to no information around money. It's a, it's really, really common. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. Right. And I <laughs> do feel better. Really. I, I feel better. And even my husband and I, right. Like, well, I mean, I think people like just think like, oh, because of what you do or whatever, like even my husband and I, we have very different styles around money, personalities around money. You know, what money means to him is not what money means to me. And I think you're exactly right. I think it's just like when you're bringing two different people with two different completely backgrounds and upbringings and beliefs. And you put those two people together, oftentimes to manage one shared resource. I mean, it's tricky and it's hard. And I think the thing that makes money even harder is that I think that many of us think about money as this very like black and white rules driven. There is a right Mm -hmm. way to do it. A lot of us think about money in that way. And so at least what I see is like, we approach money from a very like, this is the one right way to do it because this is how my parents did it. This is how this financial guru that I follow does it. So it's like, we kind of get into our mindset of like, there's this one way to do it, which is my way. And you need to do it my way. And if you're not doing it my way, then that means you're doing it wrong. So I can just imagine all the conflict that that brings. Let's start with this question. From what you guys have seen, I think like going off of that, I think we would all probably agree that there's not like one best way or one right way. But from what you guys see in your practice, do you see couples managing money in a certain way where you tend to see more success than others? This is a common question that I get. Like, should we keep things totally separate? Should we keep things totally combined? Should like a combination? Is there one way that you guys typically see where you're like, this tends to work better than? other ways. So I think you're spot on with what you were saying before about the like, you know, there's no right or wrong. Everybody's kind of bringing their own stuff in. And I think what's really important about this question is, I mean, I think there's like an an answer of like, sure, I think having something joint that every that each party puts something in, but then also holds their own individual money in that way um, is a good, healthy setup. But bigger than that, regardless of the setup, I think as long as all partners understand and are there's open conversation around like the power that money holds in the relationship that then the set like how do we value this what is the power if i make more than you am i holding on to my individual account because that gives me power in the relationship and like what is that what does that mean then to the dynamic like i think really understanding what's underneath the setup and the motivation behind like whatever that setup is, is way more important than then how it actually translate into like separate or joint. Rachel and I are big fans of everybody having a bit of their own money to hold on to that independence. But in regards to the actual setup, yeah, my answer would be like, well, how do you value 
money in your relationship and how does this relate to the power dynamic? And then what does the setup need to come from there? Yeah. I think what Stacey's saying is, is important about what the setup means to you. And I think that the setup, regardless of how it is, you need to have a hundred percent transparency around what everybody makes. So it's not for me, it's not so much yeah. Do you have all your joint stuff together? And then you have your own individual accounts. Do you have everything together? Is everything separate? I think the two big conversations would be one, how do you value if you make more than someone else, how you contribute? Cause that then are you paying everything 50, 50? Is it proportional to what you make? That will often influence how people divide accounts. But more importantly, do y'all know how much you each make? Do you know how much mm-hmm. goes to taxes? I don't know who pays this out of 401k and this is health insurance. Or if you're not that, you know, in that deep of a relationship, even knowing, well, this is what goes to my school loans. This is what goes to credit cards. Oh, actually, I don't have that problem, but I have zero savings. I think it's the transparency is the other part that goes with that conversation Stacey's saying about the value. I can't tell you how many couples we see in our office. And I'll be like, well, how much do you each make if we're fighting about money? And they're like, oh, I don't. I don't know. And then many other seven years, they have no idea how much each other, oh, we just don't talk about that stuff. Okay. So what's your budget? How much does your household spend together? And these couples don't necessarily have kids and they're like, oh yeah, we don't, we don't know. We just hope to have money for certain things. And then we put the rest on the credit card. Like I'm always just, my face is like this, but my inside face is like, oh my God, like it's, (laughs) this is very bad. Like transparency is key with that value conversation. Yeah. And I love how you say like, it sounds like, I feel like there's so many things that I'll talk about where it's like, this seems like a very kind of like, well, duh, obvious thing to do. But then when you really start to say like, well, it's actually pretty shocking, like how many people, I mean, I know I was talking to like one of my friends sometimes and she told me that she had no idea like how much money her husband made. And I was just like, of course, it's not really my place to judge. Right. But it was just shocking to me to hear that, to be like, you're married to this person. You live in the same house as them. They kept all of their finances completely separate, which was their choice to do so. But it was just like Mm -hmm. shocking to me to hear like that. You don't even know kind of what your partner makes. I think that's a really good lead way into a question that I got several times when I told my audience that you guys were coming on is when is it appropriate to like start to have the money conversations? Like I'm thinking of one specific example that I got from a woman in my audience who is in a very serious long-term relationship. They're not engaged, but she was like, I think that we're definitely heading in that direction. We still keep our finances totally separate. And I have no idea, like I have no insight into his finances. I don't know what he makes. I don't know what he spends. I don't know if he has debt. But then she said, but also I feel like it's none of my business because we're not married. So like, at what point is it appropriate to kind of like have that money conversation to be like, listen, what's the deal here? Can you give me a little first date when you meet after you meet, you go, so how much do you make? What's your gross? Like how, what tax bracket are you in? How much your net worth? Yeah. Yeah. What's your net worth? But yeah, I'll, I'll take a a side of mozzarella sticks like that. That's when I would (laughs) slide it in there. Stace, is that also what you, what you do? Yes. That's that's definitely first, first date lay it all. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say, I feel like we're going to have very different answers for this. That's okay. I'd I'd love to hear both of your takes on this. And that's the thing. Uh, I, it's just, it's, it's tricky, right? It's like, when do you broach this conversation? Like it can be uncomfortable. 
I mean, I asked my now husband on a date while we were in the in and out parking lot. I was like, how much debt do you have? Oh <laughs> we, God, we were just would. dating. I would. I know the in and out we were at too. I drive by it all the time. And it was a very revealing conversation I, in my head. I was like, mm, yeah, that's going to have to be different if we're going to be together. And it also actually told me a lot about him. Mm-hmm. So don't necessarily ask in the in and out parking lot on a, a third or fourth date. And you know, to your friend's conversation with you, she's probably way late, in my opinion. Like, I am going to be talking about money early and often because I think it's not a one and done conversation. And even the idea that it's maybe like inappropriate or not my place because you're not married. If you're sharing any kind of time or life with someone, money is impacted. We don't live in a world where one income just makes everything better, especially if you're in any kind of major city. And look at the cost of everything going up right now. So I think it's just really appropriate if you're sharing any kind of time, space, length of time with someone. A money conversation is okay. How deep that conversation goes can be different. Like, yeah, I don't need to know someone's 401k status or if they've got, you know, retirement stuff going. And I do want to know if someone has a lot of debt and we've been together for six months. Um, I want to know what kind of debt it is. I want to know if you're a spender or a saver because Mm -hmm. that will affect our life together. I think the comfort around somebody asking those questions is probably like the other piece of it. So I'm on the, I'm on the other side of the money spectrum where Rachel is like, let's talk about money, like comfortable with it, put it out there on the table. And I am definitely more the, I was not taught about money. Conversations around money makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel empowered in talking about money and financial dynamics. Now, as I've gotten older and things have gone wrong from that dynamic, I have tried to do something different, but I would be on the side of be like, yeah, this is a very uncomfortable conversation and I'm not probably not bringing it up in the first couple dates, right? Like I wouldn't. And I think if somebody brought it up to me, I would probably be a little flustered by it. So I think it's hard to put a timeline because I think timelines are influenced by our comfort around money and what we were taught about it and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But to the question and then also what, what Rachel was saying, like, if you see a future with this person, if this is somebody that you want to invest your time and life and energy into, then it probably is healthiest, uh, even if it's uncomfortable to have that conversation when you know that this is somebody that you want to invest in. Like, I don't think there needs to be a between the fifth and seventh date is when it needs to happen. I think it's more once you realize that like, yeah, this is somebody you might want to join your life with in some way, because what Rachel is saying is absolutely true. Like it matters. Someone's debt matters. How you talk about money matters. Mm -hmm. Um, Their value system around money matters. And it is, it can be such a make or break for a relationship. So if you see a future with somebody, this is a major part of your relationship and understanding them and deciding if it's a good fit. I'm totally with you guys. I mean, I think I'm think that there's like a scientific approach to say, you know, by this certain date, you need to have talked about money. But I think the general consensus here is that if you do see it getting to a point where you're investing like a significant amount of your time and resources, and if you think that it could continue progressing, 
it absolutely is your business because it's like what you said, Rachel. Yeah. Yeah, It's like what you said, Rachel. It's like your finances ultimately will end up impacting me. Even if like, let's just play this scenario out. It's like, even if we do decide to keep our finances, let's just say completely separate. It's like, well, what's going to happen when we go to buy a house one day, if that's something that we do, they're going to have to look at both of our finances and debt's going to play a part in that. And so it's like, if you come to the table with all this debt that I have no idea that you have, like, even though our finances are completely separate, like that does impact me. And that does impact like what we're able to do financially moving forward. So yeah, to the woman who asked me this question and was like, I really don't think it's any of my business. I'm going to tell you, I do think it's your business. And I do think that you should ask. (laughs) Yeah. It's your business. And I don't think it needs to come from a place of like, I'm judging you or I'm investigating you. And it can come so much earlier than a house. Like think about it. If you're on a date with someone and they're like, yeah, I'm actually, let's say they have a really good job. You know that they make decent money from what you're assuming about that industry. Okay. Let's say they're, I don't know, marketing something just like, okay, not doing bad right now. And they're like, yeah, I never have any money. And then you don't ever kind of go They're like, yeah, I kind of live paycheck to paycheck. And you know that they like live at home or they have four roommates. It's like something's not adding up. So if I chose to not have that conversation, you know, what could I be missing out on that? Maybe they have a lot of debt. Maybe they have a gambling problem. Maybe they're actually Mm -hmm. spending a lot of money on whatever. Maybe they're supporting part of their family. Like there's so it could go so many places, good or bad. But by me just going. Mm, that's uncomfortable. Like, yeah, I hear them saying that, but I'm just going to keep going. I don't want to rock the boat. Things are going well. We see a lot of couples then go, wow. So you were, you were starting to gamble when we were first dating and a partner's like, yeah, or you've been sending money to so-and-so since this long. Yeah. And we Mm. see those partners get really upset at the person kind of holding that information. But a lot of times I like to flip the script and go, you are just as responsible for this dynamic because it was more comfortable for you to turn a blind eye early Mm. on than ask a uncomfortable question. Yeah, that's so good. And I think too, like, this is something that I think a lot about as well is like, I think when we think about intimacy within a relationship, I think the most obvious form of intimacy that we often think about is like sexual intimacy or like emotional intimacy or things like that. But there is such a thing as like financial intimacy. And I think that that plays like a huge part in the overall health of a relationship. And when there is no transparency and there is no conversation happening around money, there can't be any financial intimacy in a relationship. And so I think just like pointing that out too, is like financial intimacy is a real thing and it is a dynamic within your relationship and it should be fostered just as much as you're fostering other types of intimacy within within your relationship. Yeah, that is such a good point. It is such a vulnerable topic. And so conversations around and owning up to things, um, being transparent, asking your partner, like when you push through that discomfort to join together, like you nailed it. Like that, that is intimacy. And you're right. That's not even something we like, that's not even a phrase Rachel and I think use a lot, like talking about financial intimacy in a relationship, but it absolutely. We're going to jack it now. Please do. (laughs) But it's absolutely true. And then it comes in kind of like what we were joking about, like, oh, it's the communication issues. We're like, it's a lot bigger than that. 
but you are going to see in those vulnerable conversation and in those intimate moments, how people are able to show up with healthy communication or where shame starts playing a factor. Mm -hmm. Are there triggers that like are always going to be blow up fights when it comes to money? Like it is very intimate and it leads to bigger parts of the relational dynamic that if you can't tolerate an intimate conversation or pushing through certain triggers or discomfort, then there's probably a really good chance you're not doing it in other areas also. That's good. So it's just, yeah, it's, it is just, yeah, it's just another part of the relational dynamic that is so telling of how you're able to connect with one another and yourself. Yeah. Can you imagine living with someone, maybe you've been together a year. Okay. Whatever your financial, I don't know, you got some joint, you got some separate, let's just say you're separate. You've been together for a year. And the difference between you coming home and seeing like a new car in the driveway that you had no idea your partner was going to get versus a couple conversations with them and just being involved in the process, not being asked permission, but you know, they're looking at an SUV, you know, they're going to pay around $400 a month. Um, They've showed you a couple things that they like. They've showed you the color and the features. Like that's such a different level going back to what you both are talking about. Like the first one does not feel intimate at all. The other one feels almost jarring to like drive in and see a brand new car. And they're like, oh yeah, I just put 10 grand down on this. Okay. Okay. (laughs) And maybe you guys were talking about moving into a bigger place. Maybe you're talking about going on a trip. Like how do those things affect? And like, you feel a difference versus someone going, gosh, you know, $500 versus $300. It's a big difference. Um, Cause it's also about like what it, it's not just the money, it's the meaning around it and all the relational impact it has. Like you both are saying, I want to be on the end of the second one. I would hate to drive into that. Like it would make me have so many other questions about all these other areas in our relationship. Like Stacy's saying. Yeah. Yeah. Because with that intimacy, the, if it's taken away, then it's like, a financial betrayal can be yes. just financial infidelity. Yes, yeah, financial infidelity and betrayal around that. If there is not trust in that area, then like your foundation is cracked. Just like, yeah, just if there, yeah, it was a physical affair, an emotional affair. It's the same thing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the term of financial intimacy, it's similar to like, a lot of people don't realize that financial infidelity is also a thing, right? Like yeah. when you're thinking about infidelity, you think of like physical infidelity, not like financial infidelity. And that was also a very common question that I received from you guys is just hiding money from your partner, whether it's like you're hiding money in a savings account that you don't want them to know about. But I think probably the most common one that I, that I see the most within my community is hiding debt. So there's a lot of spending going on and it's typically credit card debt. And so one common question that I got is how do I approach telling my partner about all this debt that I have that I've been hiding from them? Because I do think that like that really starts to weigh on you, of course. And I think a lot of us like get to the point where we're just like, this is weighing on me so deeply. Like I want to come forth and be open and honest, but I'm scared of what the repercussions of that is going to be. So do you guys have any tips on like how to approach that conversation? I mean, I know it's, I know it's so hard and it's like terrifying to do that, but just like coming clean and saying like, Hey, I did this. You didn't know about it, but putting everything on the table, approaching that conversation. To be fair, what you just said is kind of like the crux of it. I think if you've been with anything withholding information or hiding something and you know, you were going to come forth with it, like being transparent, taking full responsibility for it. And just being as open and honest as 
possible, like is really all you can do. But I think taking responsibility is a really big part of that. Then you also have to make space for how your partner is going to respond. Like that probably is very, very jarring, very hurtful, all the things we were just talking about. So you can't rush them through it. You can't, oh my God, you're making such a big deal about this or, well, it's, it's fine. It's not fine. Like it's a, it's a betrayal. If we're calling it financial infidelity, then they need to be able to come up with a plan of how they're going to recover from that, how you're going to recover and repair as a couple, like, okay, so what, what now? And I imagine there needs to be tangible concrete, like this is how we earn trust back in this financial area. And it's probably going to take time. Something you said, Paige, that I kind of want to go back to is for me, financial infidelity is anything that you are hiding that could potentially hurt the relationship or a partner. I think it's Stacey and I are on the same page here. If you have a savings account with money that you have hidden from a partner, I don't necessarily think that counts as financial infidelity. I think your partner can be hurt that they didn't know about it. Mm -hmm. Um, As long as that savings account is not taking from your responsibilities as a whatever you've agreed on, what should be paid joint or whatnot. Mm -hmm. So I think that one's like a little different than all the other ones. Cause I I think that's threatening to some partners. Uh, Do they have a right to be hurt if they didn't know about it? A hundred percent. It could be really upsetting to find out, you know, your partner has a rainy day fund that you didn't know about, but it's about what you're getting upset about more of like, what else are they hiding? Or do you feel like this relationship's going to end and understanding why that's going on? For me, that doesn't fall under relation, you know, the financial kind of infidelity and how you were saying, you know, a lot of it's debt. We see it in purchases of things. So it's not only like credit card debt, but like buying things, um, buying something over a certain amount. Like in my relationship, if it's under $500, whether it's debt or a purchase, we don't talk about it. Like I don't need to know. I don't need a consideration for it because Mm -hmm. you'll be able to pay that off. If it's over, we're talking about it every single time. So whether that's a trip, a car, property, I don't know, we're not buying properties and cars. Um, But do you know what I'm saying? Like it's not just the the negative or like the debt stuff. It's also like big things that could influence your relationship that I think has been normalized to kind of hide from each other. And that doesn't count as financial infidelity. So I think that's, um, that's important too, that it really is, it can look very, very different. Yeah, no. And I'm totally with you on the savings account. And I really appreciate your clarification there because I think like, depending on the dynamic of, Mm the relationship and all that sort of thing. It actually could make sense to have a pool yeah. of money. And this is something that I commonly run into because you guys know my my brand is helping people who struggle with impulse shopping, shopping addictions, yeah. overspending. And so I get asked all the time, it's actually both sides of the coin where I actually get reached out to by a lot of women who don't struggle with spending. The husbands actually struggle with spending. And the question is always, how do I take steps to protect almost in a sense, like what we're earning and what we're bringing in? Because I just, I feel like I've literally tried everything. Like I feel like I've tried to have the conversation and I've tried to like get to the root cause of why they're doing what they're doing. And I've I've tried to kind of show them like the ripple effects of their spending choices and how it's impacting our family. And yet it's just still not fixing the problem. Like they're still going out and spending everything. And so like in situations like that, right? Like I think sometimes you do just have to come to a point where you're just like, we're separating things and there's going to be a pool of money that you just don't have access to because 
I don't trust you having access to this pool of money. So I think in, in a lot of instances, there are cases where it makes, makes sense. A hundred percent. Yes. No, I think we don't talk about it enough. I think there's a lot of like shame around that and judgment around that. I like to turn to the partner that's getting really upset. I'm like, what does your partner's financial autonomy? Why is that so threatening to you? Like Mm -hmm. what, what about them having money to pull from to pay big bills or to pay for something they need because you're not willing to participate in an equal way? What about that is really threatening? Because often it has to do with power and control. It has very little to do with what they're actually fighting about. Yeah. Um, and and I think it's really uncomfortable for a lot of people, especially women, to set that boundary of going like, hey, I've got my own account and it doesn't mean it's not anything against you. It's actually not about you at all. You yeah. know, I'm, I'll, I'll Mel Robbins it. Like we can't control other people. Yeah. The biggest gift you can give yourself is realizing you cannot control someone else. And that includes their spending habits. So if you've tried and done all the things you've said, and that person is showing you they don't have that willingness or ability to control, you're allowed to protect yourself and your yeah. future. Period. Yeah. 100% agree. Well, and I think that that's, that's a really good segue into another common question that I see a lot, which I think is just like a general disagreement over splitting expenses and just things not feeling quote unquote fair in a relationship, like financially fair. The scenario that I feel like I hear about all the time is one partner makes way more than the other. There's a really big disparity in incomes. And it's usually the partner who makes way more thinks that everything should just be split 50-50 down the middle. And then the partner who makes way less thinks that everything should be split you know, according to incomes, contribution of incomes. And I think we kind of settled in the beginning, like there's not necessarily one right answer, but I think it really comes to a crux when you just can't reach an agreement. And then I often find that one person ends up feeling super resentful because they're like, I make way less. A much bigger portion of my income is going just to pay our basic bills and expenses. And then the other person has all this money left over that they can do whatever they want with. And then I'm over here just like struggling to like pay our bills. And we just can't seem to come to an agreement on how to make this quote unquote fair and equitable. That's something that I see a lot. So what, I guess my question is like, what do you do when you just can't seem to come to an agreement? So I have been in a similar situation. That's why Rachel is laughing. Oh, okay. I am deep sighing. Um, Because at the end of the day, look, if we're looking at the relational dynamic, at the end of the day, it isn't about the number of split or ratio. If the dynamic is the partner who makes more and holds more power in that way is okay watching their partner suffer so things can be on a 50-50 level, there are bigger issues and concerns in that relational dynamic. Say it again for the people in the back. Then then what do we do about this split? If somebody was in my office with that, we just can't come to the agreement of like the money and how much we contribute to the joint account. That's not what it's about whatsoever. Why are you okay being in a relationship where someone is okay watching you suffer? Um, Whether it is about money or mental load or parenting or whatever it is, it's, that's not a partnership. Ooh, Um, Paige, people are going to just be, you're just going to get like nasty DMs and just like 
comments yeah. on no. the thing. Listen, it's it's okay. I I I will take it because I feel like <laughs> you said the thing that I was honestly too scared to say. So it's okay. It's okay. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I mean, listen, like I'll just share this. I've I've shared this a lot on the podcast before, but just so you guys like understand my own dynamic within my marriage. And again, this is not to say like, oh, our, the way that we do it is the best way. Mm-hmm. But I would say that my husband and I there's certain forms of intimacy within our marriage that definitely like we have room to work on, but I feel like financial intimacy is one area that we do pretty well. And I feel like it is because of regardless of how the accounts are managed or where stuff is going in and where stuff is coming out, we've always just approached it from like, we're never going to let the other person just kind of like flail on the sidelines. Right. I mean, we've had seasons where I make more, we've had seasons where my husband has made more like I don't think ever have had a time in our relationship where it's been exactly like, okay, equal 50, 50. But I think it's just like, regardless of how we have the accounts structured, it's always just this mindset of like, we're approaching this as a team working on this together. And I'm never going to let Ryan flail and he's never going to let me flail like financially. But thank you for saying that, Stacey, because like I said, you kind of said the the thing that I was scared to say. Yeah, I think that that's so important. And there's a lot, I feel like people are really afraid to get get a lot of shit for it. Of yeah. just being that assertive about it. And it's true. And I don't think Stacy is saying, okay, if you've got somebody that has so much debt and then they're not willing and you make more money and they're not willing to work on it, they're not willing, willing to pay it down, you go bail them out. Like, I don't think that's what she's saying. Or like, right, you go right. make someone's payments for them if you see them not willing to also do that. So I also want to like, you're going to come for my girl. That's also not what she's saying. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because again, there, like you said, Pedro's ebb and flow. There's times where someone might make more money or has that ability to help out in that way or to take on 70, 30 or 60, 40 or whatever it is. And it's about like this larger kind of tenant of your relationship. Are you cool with having, I don't know, no debt. And you know that your partner is making these crazy payments on stuff so that they're living paycheck to paycheck while you're not. And if that's not something you are talking about or avoiding, it says a lot about how you're valuing each other and the relationship. Mm, Yeah. I think it's up to the individual like couple and dynamic to figure out, like, I think, especially with the situation of debt, like, okay, are we going to like, even maybe let's say it's debt that you brought into a relationship, like student loan debt, right? It's like, I obviously understand that you didn't have anything to do with me going and getting this student loan debt. So maybe you don't help me pay these loans off. Maybe that's just something that I work to do on my own. But while I'm doing that, how else can we kind of like work together so that I'm actually able to make progress on that. And we're working together like as a team, almost. It's like, you're you're not paying oh. the debt off for me, but you're also kind of like supporting me like while I'm working yeah. on this goal of doing this. And there's this. transparency yeah. around it. You know yeah. that that's what they're doing. You know, that's why they can't put that extra $400 to rent. And then it's a conversation we're having again in three months, in six months. It's not just a one and done. Yeah, 100%. I love that. Okay, so- keeping on the the topic of conversation one question that i also get asked a lot too like when we're kind of talking about like keeping things fair and equitable is one person in a relationship being much more involved in just like the management of the finances than the other person is mm-hmm. right like you have one person who's like 
budget, like tracking everything, like nitty gritty. And they're like, come on, let's do this together. And then the other person's like, no, like absolutely not. Like I have no interest in doing this. No, thank you. And so I get asked all the time, like I'm making a budget. I'm, you know, I I make the pretty spreadsheets and this and that, and I share it with my partner and like, they won't even look at it or they won't even sit down with me for 15 minutes to look at it. They're just completely avoidant. How do I get them more involved? And I'm just like, did Rachel write this question into your yeah. community? I was going to say, did my therapist send you this question? Because I think this is rude. I think this is really triggering and rude. This is and I would like, like a personal get, attack. I'm sorry. I would like to get off this podcast now immediately. <laughs> How do you feel, Stacey? Are you that person that um, engages in that conversation professionally and purposefully? I'll wait. I'll wait right here. I mean, personally, <laughs> I'll just wait. Here. Have I been peer pressured to get dates on the books in January to be able to go over our decoding couples expenses and budget. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Have I reluctantly agreed? Yes. Yes. Um, Has it happened? I try to tell Rachel that I would do this if we go on a vacation and blow our money (laughs) that way. Yes. Yeah. I don't have a really great answer. I'm the partner that is okay to keep my head in the sand in some ways. Um, I was just telling Rachel, we're just talking about this because her husband and I are very similar in this way, which is really infuriating to her where she is very money focused. Like she Mm -hmm. is on a side of the spectrum. Like she's on this side of the spectrum. Me and her husband are on the other side of the spectrum. And a huge part of it is... I think with our backgrounds of money, like talking about money, having money meetings, understanding your budget, looking at all this stuff was never something that my family talked about, was never something I was encouraged or held accountable to do. You just looked at your checking account and then you made decisions off of that. Like if you could afford it all, great. That's totally fine. Running low. Okay. You pull back in one area. So it is not a natural inclination for me. And I understand the importance of it business-wise and just life-wise the older I get. And if we're bringing it back to relationships, I understand that as Rachel is my business partner, this is something that is really, really important to her. So I know I drive her crazy because it isn't a natural thing for me to look at or even want to do. And I know that I need to do it for our relationship and for our business. So like, am I naturally great at it? No, but I do think for the person that that's not their like natural inclination and pull and what is top of mind all the time, like that is part of prioritizing a relationship. If you are with somebody that values that and yet nothing bad is going to come from looking at numbers. I mean, well, maybe something bad could happen. I was going to say maybe. Yeah. Mm, might not yeah. be fun, but like relationally saying, okay, I'm going to do something that's important to you, whether it's numbers or again, other relational aspects, like sometimes we just have to do things and do our best. And that's all I got. No, I was going to say, no Paige, it's not great. Do not, do not enable this behavior, please. <laughs> but if I take a deep breath, if you are the partner that is the one that like running the budget and, and doing the numbers, something that you probably don't do a good jo- job of is I think you do probably a really good job of communicating like the anxiety and the importance around the numbers and like, yes, we need to look at this and not what it means when your partner doesn't help you with that. Cause I think that's something I still work on, but something I often feel like I am married and then professionally with both two people that 
really avoid a lot of conversations around money and I am the one initiating that. But what I don't do a good job of, of saying like, hey, it really feels disrespectful that you continue to do this. Um, it, it hurts that you don't do this. I think that if you're the one running the budget and you have, you know, a partner that's just not receptive or it's uncomfortable for them, you're probably coming from a place of anxiety and expertise a lot. And that's not inviting to the other person that's yeah. often intimidating. And so I think communicating that like it hurts, like communicate a feeling about it versus like, yep, there you go again. I'm not saying you can't hold your person or person's accountable, but I think often people have so much money shit. Like they have a lot of money shame. It's overwhelming. Leading with how it's impacting you is more important than going, okay, but let's, you know, we really need to do this. Like, I think it, it's better to come and create that uncomfortable space of going like, I've asked you twice to put together our podcasting costs and you haven't. That really sucks. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. or that person's doing it instead of coming to them with that hard sentence. And that's also not helpful because you're enabling, again, a cycle or dynamic that you're saying you don't like. Yeah. I love the tip that you gave about communicating a feeling. And I think that that's really powerful because I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of the times like when our partner isn't doing the thing that we want them to do, like it can be very easy just to kind of default to the criticism of like, well, you should be doing this with me. This is something that we should be doing. Like you should be sitting down with me, which then of course it's like, well, what is that going to do? Like that's not going to like motivate your partner to come and sit down with you. But I also want to say to this too, I'll just say this from like the money lens as well, is that I actually don't believe that in order for there to be a healthy and successful financial dynamic in a relationship that you need two people who are like in a spreadsheet. I think that there's definitely a place for that. But like one big thing that I think is really critical is like we said in the beginning, understanding that you and your partner more than likely have two very different views and dynamics around money and how it should be handled and run. And I am a big proponent of focusing on your strengths and how can I bring each of our individual just like strengths, personalities, temperaments to the table so that we're we're both contributing in a way, but the way that we're contributing is not going to look the same. Like for me and my husband, like I'm the budget, I'm the spreadsheet, I'm like the nitty gritty, like in the numbers tracking everything. My husband has absolutely no interest in doing that, but I don't make it a problem that he doesn't do that. I'm not like, you should be doing this with me because I understand like, not only does he not want to do this, but like, I'm better at doing this than he is. But he has his role. Like he's more of like, I want to fly at 30,000 feet. I want to be the big picture thinker. I want to kind of like cast the vision of like where I think we should go and like bigger investments that I think would be good for us to make. And then it's like, I'm more of like the day-to-day execution and he's more of like the visionary. So I think just question that as well. It doesn't mean that your partner can't be involved in the finances. I think it's important again for that transparency to be there. But I would also question the belief that you have that it's like, because I feel like this is what I hear. It's like, we have to sit down. We have to look at the budget. We have to go through the numbers, line, 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 line. It's like, I think that there's other versions to be successful that don't look like this picture that you have in your head of like what we need to be doing. So also just consider that as well of it's just sticking with the message of this conversation. Like there's just not one right way to do it. Okay. So another question for you guys, we just got a lot of questions for this episode. So this is one that I hear very commonly from the women in my community who are struggling with their spending habits. They're dealing with a lot of 
financial stress and also a lot of financial just shame from past choices that they've made. And they finally have come to a point where they're like, this is something that I want to work on and get better at and improve. But they still feel like their partner is heavily criticizing them. So I hear a lot where they're like, I feel like I'm doing much better. I feel like I'm really trying and I'm seeing internal change in just the way that like I'm thinking about money or how I'm feeling about money. But my partner is still over here just criticizing me. Right. And it's, and it's really kind of like deflating me and it's making me question like, well, am I doing better? Am I making progress? Like, I feel like I am, but my partner's still kind of over here, like criticizing me. So just approaching, like, how do you handle a situation where you feel like actually got this question both ways, where you feel like your partner has lost financial confidence in you, or if you've lost financial confidence in your partner, I got that question both ways. Stacy's worst nightmare. She's just like, I so, sorry, I know I'm, yeah, I know like, I'm yeah, asking some like, like really deep questions. Mm, I'm sorry. No, no. it's okay. Well, but there's also so much of this that it's this could be applicable to anything that you're rebuilding yes. because yeah. that's what it is, right? Like, yes, mm, is that right. part of the triggering for me? Absolutely. And it is the same relational dynamic. If some yeah, if it wasn't about money, if there was a breach of trust, because that's what I'm hearing. Like you don't trust your partner to follow through with what they're saying they are doing and or saying that they are going to do. And there's probably some evidence that backs that, right? Like the partner yeah. that's having a hard time trusting is probably because they have felt an impact of their partner's choice. So regardless of what it, if what it was, somebody saying, I'm going to give you the chance to basically repair from a mistake you've made or a breach of trust or whatever it is in that choice, that partner then also has to back off like, and allow for some change to happen, like constantly criticizing, constantly monitoring, constantly pointing out, you know, the smallest flaws and errors or bringing up the past stuff is not going to motivate anybody to continue to make those changes. And it's also just not going to be reparative to the relationship. So can it be really hard to trust that your person is going to do something different, especially when they've breached your trust before? Hands down, absolutely. But micromanaging it isn't going to facilitate it any better. So that person, I would say, probably needs their own support and how do they get through that time of trusting their partner again, especially if there was some major, you know, financial, financial infidelity. Um, and then the person who maybe did the breaching of trust or, you know, made the mistakes before of what it is. Like, I think open transparency of what they're doing and like, this is tangibly, actionably what I am doing differently is good also. Like maybe not just expecting that their partner is going to just blindly say, go for it. Like take the reins again, if there has mm -hmm. been some really, you know, major impact before, but to answer like the specific question. Yeah. Like that criticism, that constant monitoring, that micromanaging, like that does have to stop in order for any repair after, a, you know, a mistake to happen. If words are matching with actions of the person that is trying to regain the trust. Yeah. 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 It just reminds me of like parent child dynamics. I'm over here just being like, ugh, like I don't want to be mm -hmm. micromanaged and I don't want to micromanage anyone. And I think it's a very normalized dynamic in these situations that you both are talking about. Yeah. If you're going to have somebody that is continually breaching your trust around money um, and not able to kind of be held to those boundaries or those short-term goals or long-term goals, you, nothing you do is going to control that person. And then do you like who you are when you're managing that, when you're micromanaging that? 
is you being in control more important than like the health and dynamic of your relationship? And Mm -hmm. if you're on the other side of it, like, are you benefiting from being kind of mommed right now about like, oh, well, what's your credit card at? Well, like you're also enjoying the thing you are pissed about being asked about. So it's like, it's very parent child to me. And I'm like, and that's not sexy. So I'm like listening to Faces mm-hmm. answers. I'm just like, all of it is just very normalized in our relationships. And um, that gets that gets old by a cu- after a couple of years, folks. And you guys all end up in our offices. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Talk about it now. Yeah. And I I totally think that like your actions and behaviors say so much more than your words do. Right. And so for me, I'm like, if the person who has broken trust in the past is actually showing that they are putting measures in place and steps in place, and they are really, really trying to rebuild that trust. I think it's very easy for the other person in the relationship to kind of sense that, right? To be like, okay, like I feel like things are changing. I feel like things are getting better. Like I can at least see them like putting forth an effort and trying. And I'm totally with you guys. Like if that's the case and that's the scenario, then you continuing to like criticize and pile on and kind of like micromanage is only going to delay that growth process. But again, it's kind of like what you were saying, Rachel, if they're telling you like, yeah, I'm going to try to get better. Yeah. I'm going to try to change. I'm going to do this and that, but then their actions are showing something completely different. Like, of course that's, I think that's another different scenario, but it's just like the women in my community, like I, I see them trying so hard, right. They're like, I'm trying, I'm showing up. Like, I'm doing things with my money that I've literally like never done before. Like, I feel like I have like so many cool, amazing results. And yet my partner is still over here. Like, well, we'll see. And it just like, it like breaks my heart because I'm just like, ugh, like I can see them trying so hard. And I'm like, I know that you know how much effort you're putting in and I can see how much effort you're putting in. And I so wish that your partner would be able to kind of support you in this as well. But it's kind of heartbreaking to me when I see situations like that. So I obviously know that's like a a tricky dynamic. So oh, it's it's so hard. And if you think about it, it's not hard to cheer somebody on. It's not hard to be like, hey, you're really turning it around with your money stuff. Like, I really see you working on your overspending. That's actually really not difficult for someone to do, even if they're not spending and managing the money the way you are learning to. And again, I think what Stacey said earlier it speaks a lot more relationally to what's going on because someone can not want to do something the same way you do financially and still be supportive of the changes you're making if you're trying to curb overspending or understand why you're ordering from Amazon every day. If you've got a partner that's not even just willing to cheer you on or acknowledge the progress you're making, as heartbreaking as it is, I think that also is telling you a lot. It takes nothing away from someone else to cheer you on. And Mm -hmm. if that's happening, like, that's a hard truth. I completely agree. That's so true. Okay. So let's, let's end with this one last thing. So anyone listening who is like, I feel like me and my partner should go to therapy. Is therapy something that you should start doing? Like when there's an issue or are you guys, I've, I've heard it both ways. Or are you guys proponents of like, even if you don't really feel like there's like, like glaring issue in your relationship, you can still benefit a ton from it. Seven years. Is that the stat? Six yeah, years? Yeah, I think it's six. It might be six. 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 Mm-hmm. So there's a stat that says that couples start therapy six years too late. Yeah. So, you know, Rachel and I talk a lot about how we 
help couples break up a lot of times because by the time they land in our office, um, things can be irreparable. The resentment is too big. There's just been too much pain, too much disconnect. So we are large fans of getting in sooner than later. Yeah. (laughs) Come in when there's not issues. Come in when you're like, oh, we've been together for two years or a year. And sometimes I feel like I don't really understand where you're coming from. Go to therapy. Oh, Mm. you know, we like have, we get through stuff really well. Um, We can communicate well in the day to day. We've had some hard conversations, but then there's some areas that we just like, don't talk about. I don't really know why, but I don't know. We don't go to therapy. Like it doesn't need to be, we have these blowout fights we can't get out of. We are having these stuck cycles, like come when things are flexible, come when you Mm. still feel like you have a lot of benefit of the doubt to give your partner like each other they'll like each other you will be in therapy for a shorter amount of time and you will be back less often if you come earlier so interesting yeah save yourself money no and so i think that's probably like one of the biggest things that like holds people up from getting therapy well i think it's two things is one like you just think that you don't need it but i think rachel you've kind of squashed that of like even if you think you don't need it you probably do and the financial investment in it, because it's yes. like, I think it's like paying for it, like paying for the therapy. It's like, oh, well, every time I go, I have to pay this amount for the therapy. But I think with that type of thing and like the work that we do, it's like the ROI that you're going to see. It's <laughs> not like a, it's not like a clear, tangible, like ROI on a spreadsheet that you're going to be able to point to and be like, this is the ROI of therapy. It's something that you just feel in your everyday life. But it's like going to therapy is probably much cheaper than divorce, I would guess. Right. Uh, you are right. No, you are <laughs> a scientist. I would you guess. Are correct. <laughs> yeah. So it's like paying, paying for therapy is going to be a lot cheaper than having to pay for a very costly divorce. So just think about it that way. Like there absolutely is an ROI into investing in yourself and investing in your relationship. So I think that's the perfect place to end us. And on that note, if you would like to do that, why don't you guys just wrap us up and just tell us more about decoding couples how you can help people. If you want to tell people about that and just how people can work with you guys and get plugged in. Yeah. I mean, to your point, Paige, I think that we understand that therapy can be out of reach for a lot of people. So that's a big reason why Decoding Couples exists is to give more accessible ways to get support for yourself without ever leaving your couch or having to even go to an office. So um, yes, right now we have a, multiple ways to access that kind of support, especially we have like two best selling courses right now. So whether you're still in this kind of like dating phase and you maybe haven't been together that long um, and you're wanting to make sure you're talking about everything you need to talk about, we've got a course on that. And then we've got another course for if you're anything like Stace and I and you avoided all those topics and you got stuck in some cycles later you know, we have a course that will help you break those cycles. Um, And again, it's lifetime access and it's called the relationship roadmap. And then we've got a podcast you can listen to every Monday going over the relational topics that we hope everyone is talking about um, in their relationships because it can really spark some important conversations and we release um, episodes every Monday. Love it. Well, I will make sure to link all of that information in the show notes. So if y'all want to just click on the link and go directly there. Just look in the show notes. I will link the course and the podcast and all of that good stuff. So 
I feel like we covered so much in this conversation. Okay. So, and I, I know I was like peppering you guys with questions, but I was, I was really try. I was like, I'm going to get through as much as I can while I have them. Because I, like I told you at the beginning, this is like one area that I feel like I get so many questions on that. I'm like, I don't feel super equipped to answer these questions. So thank you guys for being on. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the money love podcast. If you're loving the podcast, then I want to invite you to join me in the Overcoming Overspending membership. It's where we take this work deeper and apply the concepts and coaching from each week's episode into your own life. By being a member, you have exclusive access to my Overcoming Overspending process, 10 monthly live coaching calls with me, a private podcast, members-only community, monthly money topic and challenge, bonus courses, and so much more. There's nowhere else like it out there to level up your finances and life. Simply go to overcomingoverspending.com to join and you can enter in the code MLP30 at checkout to save $30 on your first month inside the membership. See you inside.